The following show is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. Happy holidays to all of our listeners. As we're wrapping up 2018 and we're looking forward to the new year, you know, the presence that we were hoping for, we didn't quite get at the moment, which is we've gotten volatility in our financial markets as compared to just ending up with a nice positive return. You know, we'll see how it ends up through the course of the next week or two. But having said that, I thought it would be as much of a gift as I can give to people to give them some insight, some confidence, some certainty around what's going on so that they can have a little bit more peace of mind if they've been thinking about what's going on with their, you know, with the markets and their finances. Having said that, our guest today is Scott Powell. He is the Executive Vice President of OBS Financial Services. He's also their Chief Investment Officer. So at this point, I would like to welcome Scott Powell to our program. Scott, welcome to the program. So nice to have you with us today. How are you? I'm terrific, Frank. Uh, despite all that's going on, um, it's really good to be with you and, and your team and your clients. So, Scott, you know, over the last couple of months, we've seen volatility come back into the marketplace. You know, for a while, it was pretty calm. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're seeing 300-point drop, a 300-point drop, and then we get a good day, and we're up 300. And so we're having swings like that that we haven't seen in a while. And so the first thing I'd like to do is maybe have you just give a little update for people as to why are we seeing the volatility and what does it mean? And then we'll kind of, you know, we formulated a little bit of a conversation to give people some insight as to, you know, where we're at and what to expect. So with that note, well, Scott, go ahead. Certainly, Frank. Uh, well, I wish um, I wish we had better uh, holiday news for people uh, as we come. You know, and I thought we would as we sat here at the end of the third quarter, which is basically uh, where markets, uh, market U.S. markets in particular, peaked uh, with the S and P at about twenty nine forty, um, and looking like we we're going to have a real another real solid year uh, calendar year return. But unfortunately, as uh, the Federal Reserve in particular continues to contract their balance sheet, uh, kind of doing the opposite of uh, what used to be known as quantitative easing, they're in effect uh, doing some quantitative tightening um, as we still, uh, as the economy uh, continues to recover from the 2008-2009 recession. And markets have certainly taken note of that. Uh, so we're seeing a lot less liquidity in, in the institutional markets uh, as the Fed is now uh, trying to lower their balance sheet. Uh, as, and, and at the same time that they're doing that, as we all know, they've been increasing interest rates at the short end of the yield curve, the Fed funds rate. Uh, that's the only rate that they can directly control. Uh, that has increased from basically uh, you know 0.5 to I think we've had seven or eight increases now, uh, and we're now at uh, roughly 2.5 percent at the front end of the yield curve. So it's a pretty dramatic shift, and you couple that with uh, all of the uh, uh, political noise and the international trade noise uh, with China and other partners. 
Um, and I won't. Uh, we don't need to repeat all of that because people hear it 24/7 on any business news station or even the, the general media. Uh, all of those things uh, have people nervous, and um, you combine that with uh, price-earnings ratios uh, that have been very strong, particularly in technology. And as we near the end of a very long extended economic cycle, potentially near the end of it, um, I think a lot of uh, a number of people have started taking some money off the table, and that's and now we are we are seeing much higher volatility than we are used to, um, and I think that's a very important issue for us to discuss. Uh, there's something uh, known as recent called recency bias, and we all get lulled into whatever has been happening in the recent past is how we tend to portray things going forward. The last five or six years, outside of the occasional hiccup, we've had very low volatility. Um, In the equity markets, volatility is measured by something called the VIX index. And the VIX has tended to average anywhere from 17 to 20 over a long period of time. But we were riding volatility at almost half of that level over the last five or six years as the economic and market recovery gained steam and the financial markets uh, were just kept grinding higher in a nice, volatile, even pace when you look back in time. Um, That has hit, you know, I I call it, it's hit the wall. And uh, with the change in what the Federal Reserve has done and the direction that they're taking, coupled with, uh, you know, the potential that we're nearing the peak of the profit cycle um, and possibly, uh, you know, uh, topping out in terms of economic growth, uh, we now have some disruptions in the financial markets. And volatility has basically doubled. And when you start seeing these days when markets are up 1% to 3% and then they're down 1% to 3%, and it reminds me uh, a bit of, I hate to say this, but 07, 08, um, when we started having some of that. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're going to see anything like we saw in 07 and 08 because our economic backdrop is much different. But we certainly are uh, reliving some of the times that can understandably make people nervous. So, Scott, it's interesting that, you know, when you're saying that because, you know, when you see those 300-point swing or the 500-point swing, and we compare that to, say, 10 years ago, it, it's off of also a much higher number. You know, you're coming off, you know, of, of a Dow of, say, 27,000 or whatever the case might be. So, you know, it seems like big numbers, but – and by the way, we're certainly not discounting it by any means, but it's – from a percentage standpoint, it's not that, and as you mentioned, it's not that same backdrop. Am I correct in you know, that assumption? Absolutely. You bring up a great point. Um, so I, I like reminding people that our financial media, uh, they get paid you know, to get eyeballs, you know, sell, uh, have eyeballs on the screens and sell as many papers as possible. So they tend to get, when things are at the extreme, whether it's on the bullish side or the bearish side, they really increase the volume. And so they try to take slants that make people as nervous as possible. And they talk about, you know, point movement. But you have to think of things in terms of percentage movement. 
And, you know, 1% on the Dow today, that's, that's a 230, 250-point move. Um, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, that same point move would have been uh, much more extreme. Um, so you bring up a really good point. So, Scott, you know, when we're looking at this, you know, I know people start to be a little concerned or a lot concerned. They start getting nervous. But the reality is, is that when portfolios are put in place, they're put in place for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, you know, and I always tell people, you know, your portfolio takes you through retirement, not to retirement. And you can easily be in retirement 10, 20 years. Um, you'll even hear 30 years nowadays. So it gets into what we refer to as a market cycle. You know, when we talk about, you know, expected returns and things of that nature and we do an allocation, maybe you could take a, a few minutes and just explain to people, first of all, what often happens during a full market cycle and how long is often a market cycle? So that if if we did a projection, we said historically, you know, a market cycle is X amount of time and based upon a certain portfolio, the average return is X, 5% based upon that. That's what's typically occurred. So what's that cycle look like as far as from a up and down standpoint? How long does it last? And perhaps you can shed a little light on that. Oh, sure, sure thing. I'll, I'll take my best shot at it, Frank. So I've been around markets uh, since um, 1988, uh, so roughly 30 years. And um, tried. I'd like to think I'm a student of the markets, um, going back much further than that. Although it doesn't, uh, being a student of the markets doesn't replace living through market times. Um, it's a whole different experience, of course. Uh, but my view is that um, our economy was much the cycle. The business cycles were much quicker um, in historically because of the nature of the boom, economic boom and bust cycles, because we had limited Federal Reserve and government involvement. Going, I mean, I'm going back uh, a long ways here in history. Um, as, as we've had uh, more influence uh, with both government fiscal spending and particularly with uh, Federal Reserve uh, interest rate policy and, and management of the financial markets, that is, in my view, it, tend, it, it has tended to uh, elongate the, the, the normal uh, unfettered business cycle such that we're now seeing cycles go 8 to 10 to 12 years uh, before we see uh, major economic shifts. Um, of course, financial markets are discounting mechanisms, and I think there's nothing better than uh, they're not always correct, but they tend to sniff out you know, the future direction of where the economy may be heading. Um um, but again, not always not always accurate in that assessment. Uh, typically, I view the stock market as a as a uh, six to eighteen month discounting mechanism. But if you're investing for ten to fifteen to twenty years out, um, I don't think you know current types of market activity shouldn't lead to major concerns over how our economy is going to be looking fifteen or twenty years from now. Having said that. I think a full market cycle, the, you know, historically equities have produced roughly 5 to 7 percentage points above inflation. Um, given where uh, the, 
price-earnings ratios are today and the very ultra-low interest rates that we have had, uh, there's no question that forward returns from this point on over the next five to seven years are going to be uh, probably disappointing or lower than his- history. Uh, but there still should be equity premiums in the 3 to 5% range above inflation. Um, I, the, as it relates to fixed income, there's there is no better guide to what expected forward returns should be than the coupon of fixed income vehicles. So if the uh, uh, Bloomberg aggregate index has a coupon of roughly 3% um, over a, over the next four to five years, that's probably what the total return will be uh, for fixed income. Uh, it's a pretty good marker. So when you look at those two things combined, um, we're probably looking at balanced account returns and, uh, you know, I'll just call it 4 to 6% range. I wish I could be more precise, but that's probably significantly below the, you know, 6 to 8 to 9% that people would like to think that they might be getting or what they've been used to be to have be getting in the financial market. Uh, that's just a fact of the math. Um, obviously, uh, when you overlay investor behavior, things tend to get exacerbated, both on the way up, and maybe we've had some of that, maybe we've had some uh, extra enthusiasm over the last year or two, particular, particularly in the in the tech arena. Um, and then, of course, when, uh, people, when investor psychology turns negative, which can happen on a dime, uh, we can get exacerbated the other way. And I would submit to you that in 2008-2009, uh, where we were in, in about three months' time, we were off roughly 40% of the 57% peak-to-trough return that occurred. That was just a, a cascading uh, a cascading uh, uh, snowball. Uh, I, you could call it an avalanche of you know investor behavior kind of going, taking the markets off a cliff. The fundamentals weren't nearly that bad, but... Uh, it was it was probably the epitome of of uh, you know extreme uh, investor behavior. And seeing how you know what was going on with a lot of you know financial institutions and leverage and all the funny business, you know that's not what's occurring right now. And I know that people once in a while go, "Oh my gosh, what if we went back to then?" This, from what it looks like, looks like a typical correction from you know what I've studied and what I've seen over the years. What's your thoughts on that? I think you're exactly right, Frank. Um, you know, so many people were uh, participating in markets uh, 10 years ago, and those left pretty deep scars when you have that kind of volatility in your investment accounts. Um People don't want to experience that again, and we, we look to that as kind of a worst-case scenario. But our financial institutions are much better capitalized than they were then. Um, doesn't mean that something couldn't happen. I do watch, uh, I hate, I'll use one name, I do watch Deutsche Bank fairly carefully uh, because um, there, there always is the concern of, of a domino effect. But uh, these, these institutions that are not in great shape are well-known. Uh, there's nothing hidden out there, and our U.S. U.S. Uh, banks and money centers are are in very good shape. We've got very solid economic momentum. 
I would say that it's a bit uneven. Uh, I think it's very, uh, you know, hot on the coast and in our larger, larger, um, you know, areas of production, service production. Um, maybe a little more spotty in uh, flyover country where I reside. <laughs> I spend time in both the coast and in the center of the country. Um, but, you know, the numbers are not indicating any kind of uh, economic downturn in the in in the near term at all. Um, so, so, so I'm certainly so Scott, if that we stay close. with that a little bit, which is you know based upon what you said, is when we see corrections like we do historically, from peak to trough back to where they were when they started. What's the typical turnaround that you've been observed? Exact, uh, exactly. So let's go to the worst scenario that we've seen in our. Our, our most of our lifetimes, which is the 07 to 09 period, the S&P actually peaked on October, in the month October of 2007, and then it trough in uh, early March of 09. Um, our, our broadly diversified port, uh, global portfolio at, uh, at uh, OBS was off 57% peak to trough, and it took roughly about 25 months, uh, so call it two years, to fully recover. However, most clients are not in a full equity portfolio. Right. Um, a 50-50 portfolio over that period of time was off about 28%, but it recovered in 13 months, so a little over a year back to even. And by the 25th month, when the equity portfolio finally caught up, that balanced 50-50 portfolio was up over 15%. So... You know, when you think about the, the terror of the downturn, it did not take very long uh, for most clients to get back to even. That's assuming that they rode, rode out the, the storm, shall we say. And that was you know, more, that worst-case scenario in 2008. That's correct. And if we look at uh, more recent, what I would call mid-cycle-type pauses, where pe- you know, the economy may have a temporary slowdown and people get nervous, and there may be some geopolitical things going on. Uh, back in uh, 2011, I think we were having problems with Greece and, and in Europe in particular. Um, markets were off roughly, about, the equity markets were off 20%, close to 20% peak to trough. And um, both uh, all equity and our 50-50 portfolios took roughly about 12 months to recover um, a year. And in, similarly... In 2015, which was kind of a, a tempered uh, uh, Federal Reserve, I think they started to try to raise rates um, at that point in time. Uh, our recovery, the markets were off roughly 14%. And it, again, it took about 12 to 14 months to recover, a little slower out of, uh, uh, of those time periods than the 08, 09 recovery. Uh, but we're basically looking at one one year recovery for a typical significant downturn, hopefully of the type we're going through now, um, to a very extreme situation, once in a lifetime situation. Many people would say of a two year recovery, and that was, and you know, as we're talking about that peak to trough that doesn't mean that if they looked on January first to where they ended and then how it went a twelve month later that sometimes is dramatically different from where we looked and we go from the top of the market of what it ran all the way up to, to when it dropped. Um, because sometimes we 
benchmark that and we go, but look at how high it hit at one point. So would you agree in that thought process, which is you, you can't necessarily look at that way? You, oh, you're exactly right. I'll go take you all the way back to 1987. Um, remember, uh, that was before there were stops built into the markets in the um, in the, that fateful Oct- October day. I think uh, the uh, U.S. market was off 22% in one day. But on a calendar return basis for the year, it was up positive 2%. So you, if, you, if you didn't even know what was going on under the so to speak, under the covers, uh, you would have thought, well, it wasn't a very good year, but it must not, you know, it wasn't too bad. Uh, so you can't just look at calendar year returns. That's exactly right. Very good. So the other thing is, from time to time, I know people will think of, what if I get out and then, you know, when things kind of settle, I get back in. Maybe just take a moment and address the idea of moving in and moving out and, you know, perhaps just pointing out how quickly things happen either way. And which is sure. the reason why it's hard to, because I would say if you if you do that, you got to time it twice. You got to get in, you got to get out, and you know, that, or you got to get out and then you got to get in again. <laughs> well, the the, it, the the series of decisions to successfully time markets becomes exponential. Uh, you know, the in and out, and then in and out, and then in and out types of decisions and various asset classes. One tries to pick the bottoms and, and the tops, and, and I hate to tell you, I, I do speak from experience in uh, in uh, you know trying to do that in my past life, and it's uh, and in studying managers across the spectrum, very good, very solid investment managers, I really haven't found anybody that can do it, and I think we're seeing that in the hedge fund space today, where so many hedge funds are going out of business because it's impossible to do. Um, it's impossible to do over and over again uh, is all the data indicates. Um, certainly, we work, we work with the dimensional funds, and they track this pretty closely. And uh, there just aren't you know, ten over 10-year rolling periods. Typically, uh, there's only 10 to 15% of managers that outperform their benchmarks. And then when you look at the su- subsequent rolling period of time, the, the managers that outperform next, aren't the same managers who outperformed prior. There just isn't any overlap. So there's certainly some good skill out there, but there's also a lot of luck. So my whole uh, my whole approach in talking with end clients and advisors is if we can just harvest the returns that markets provide over time, you will have a very high chance of meeting your, you know, having a successful financial plan and being very successful in your retirement and very comfortable. Um, and in order to do that, you just need to kind of have the right allocation that you can ride with, that you can live through good times and through not so good times, and avoid uh, trying to get in and out of the markets in ways that where I see so many people that successfully exit a market but then they stay out and they miss the market upturn. For example, in 08, the uh, 08, 09, it did, there were huge upside months that occurred that many people are still sitting in cash on the sidelines. They never got back in uh, from, from conversations that I've had. So um, that's, I mean, that's a long-winded way of saying pick, get yourself in a, the comfortable allocation let rebalancing work for you 
Um, and by the way, rebalancing can be a difficult concept to implement because while it sounds really good on paper, when people when uh, you're rebalancing, you're rebalancing typically into a choppy negative market. And it's hard to say, let's go ahead and sell some of those stable bonds and cash to buy equities that are dropping. Uh, but that's the way people tend to win over time. And so um, I really like thinking about things in terms of buckets. It's a very simple concept. But, you know, using make time your friend and let your capital account be uh, the long-term account. Have your five to ten years of near-term money be fairly fairly secure. And when you look at 10-year rolling time time horizons in the capital markets, equities definitely win over time. You just have to be positioned to ride the volatility. That's a great insight. So for all of our listeners, you've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth, and our guest today has been Scott Powell, uh, Chief Investment Officer at OBS. And our takeaway and the, our you know, advice to you is I understand that, you know, nobody likes volatile times. Uh, we all have, you know, skin in the game oftentimes when this is going on. And it's making sure that you have the right risk profile for who you are and that you can live with the ups and downs. And, Scott, I think that the way you just said that, because we try to work that with our clients all the time, which is having different buckets of money, whether you've got some in uh, liquid areas, CDs, You've got bond accounts, uh, you might even have annuities that are generating income. All of those different asset classes provide for the stability to allow your portfolio to go through these cycles so that you can capture the returns through a full market cycle. Scott, did we miss anything there as I was going through that, or would you are you in agreement with what I just said? I think you nailed it, Frank. Well said. Thank you so much. Scott, thank you for being with us. We wish all of our listeners, all of our clients and friends a truly blessed and happy holiday season and a happy, healthy, and prosperous new year. God bless you and enjoy the year. Advisors of the Institute of Responsible Wealth may be licensed for investment and insurance products. The Institute of Responsible Wealth is an educational division of CNA Financial Group. CNA Financial Group and its advisors are an agency or an agent of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. The Institute of Responsible Wealth and CNA Financial Group are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation.